when I was in college, I had a class with this guy whose name was also Bob. So, by the way, throughout the story, he'll be referred to as the other Bob. So I'm regular Bob. He'll be, he's like pork, the other white meat. He's Bob. Anyway, he's the other Bob. So uh, before class, the other Bob uh, takes me aside and he says to me, he says, Bob, I want to tell you something. And I said, what's that? He says, I'm going to ask my girl to marry me. And I said, okay. And, uh, and I said, you know that you've only been dating for six weeks. And he said, I know, but I know that she's the one. And now some of you know that I'm just a born encourager. I just love encouraging people. So I said to him, I said, dude, mark my words. This is not going to end well for you anyway. And uh, so I sat in class that night and, and for however it worked, I sat next to the other Bob in, uh, in class. And he says, um, I'm thinking to myself, like I, I had been dating Carrie for three years. Carrie's my wife. I had been dating her for three years. And, and I was, the thought that I kept asking myself is, what am I waiting for? to ask her to marry me. And I don't know why. And I had this thing that I thought that something kind of monumental needed to happen before I asked Carrie to marry me. And I, and I don't know what it is. I had no idea what it was, but I thought that something monumental had to happen. Uh, and I, you know, whether it was a sign, whether it was a cloud in the shape of an engagement ring, I don't know exactly what it was, but I thought that something had to happen. So, but once I saw the other Bob buy a ring, I thought, man, they will sell these to just about anybody. So anyway, so I got a second job, saved as much money as I could, and uh, bought Carrie the nicest cubic zirconia I could find. And no, I didn't. I, my wife doesn't like that joke. And, uh, but she was at the last service, so I'm good. And, uh, but, uh, <laughs> so I bought the ring, and then, now, and then I had to figure out how to propose to her. Now, ladies, can I speak to you for just a moment? I'm going to speak on behalf of every man ever, worldwide, Okay. Listen, you have no idea the pressure that we're under. Because we can't just, you know, hey, what's up? How you doing? Good. Hey, will you marry me? We, no. It's got to be romantic. It's got to be thoughtful. Oh, and by the way, it can never have been done before. Because you can't do something like, you know, I love that movie. And I just did it just, no. You can't show up and be like, you know, I'm just going to bring the boom box. You know, you know, and have like Peter Gabriel. No, no. That doesn't work. No, it's already been done. John Cusack did that. <laughs> Can't do that. So anyway, so I had to figure it out. So um, I actually bought the ring. One of my closest friends in high school, his dad is a jeweler, so I bought the ring from him. So I'm at the jewelry shop, and I'm like, I got to ask this girl to marry me, and I don't know how to do it. I mean, I know what to say, but like, what do I do that's like super romantic to, you know, whatever. And um, so they give me all these suggestions, which, by the way, are all horrible. And I'm, uh-huh, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm going to do the opposite of that, perhaps, but I'm not going to do that. So anyway, then um, a girl comes out from the back, and she says, you know, we just got these in, uh, and it was, it was a jewelry box, but it was actually like a rose. But then, like, the, 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 the box opened up, and the ring was inside, but it looked like a rose. Now, please understand, this is 1995. I know it's not the way it works now. I know that now there's, like, holograms and drones that bring in rings. But back then, we just had little boxes in the shape of a rose. We had origami. That's it. All right? It's all we had. And uh, so anyway, um, so, I, so I say, that's a good idea. So she says, why don't you buy a dozen roses, put that in the middle, and then give it to her and propose to her? And I said, I like that. So anyway, uh, and I said, but just so you and I understand, I'll be doing this, and I will never give you credit for this. 
because this is going to be a Bob Franco's original. So anyway, so I decided, because I had to make it my own, I went out and bought two dozen roses, because now it's totally original. Um, and then I put the flowers in the middle. I put the, I'm sorry, the, the, the ring in, inside the fake rose in the middle. And then I went to Carrie's house. And I thought it would be cool if her whole family was there. Uh, so it was, it was uh, her whole family was there. I got to the house. I gave Carrie the rose, the roses. And she's like, oh, honey, that's so nice. Let me go put them in a vase. And I'm like, yeah, but look at the roses. She's like, okay. Okay. I'll go put them in a vase. <laughs> look closely at the roses. Okay. All right, let me go put them. Oh, all right, Carrie. Look in the middle. Look in the middle. Look in the middle. So... So she looks in the middle. She says, okay, I'm going to put him in. I'm like, All right, care. I'm going to have to be blunt here. The middle one opens. So I pop it open. And then she's, you know, and she's kind of taken back. But I get down on one knee and I tell her I have this whole spiel that I got. And then I said, you know, will you marry me? And then Carrie responded, nothing. She said nothing. But, you know, the thing is, sometimes nothing is okay. Where it's like. That's sometimes nothing. This was not one of those sometimes. It was like, it was a look of shock slash, you know, you know, I just, I got a ring, but I just saw the movie, The Ring, like that kind of, you know, like, ah, you know, kind of one of those, that thing, something's coming out of the TV. And, uh, and so anyway, so then she says nothing for like, you know, this is five seconds, 10 seconds. 20 seconds. To the, and now she denies this, but I tell her, I said, listen, I know what you were thinking. That's not true. Yes, it is. She, I'm, she scroll, I, I, I'm telling you, this, I said, this is what you were doing. You're scrolling through your mind. Is there anyone else? <laughs> well, there's him. He, oh, he's married. And then there's him. Oh, yeah, he got married too. And then there's him. That guy's a real loser. Well, we'll keep putting him in the maybe category. And, uh, and so there's this whole, this whole thing, right? And so then to the point where I say, uh, I say the words that every boy wants to say, honey, I'm going to need an answer. You know, and, and then she, uh, so after my, she says, she says, this is, she goes, um, yeah. This is, this is how I got engaged. This is, you know, and, and I, so she says the whole thing. I'm going to need an answer. Um, yeah. And, and I said, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, listen, I just want you to know, I'm taking this as an affirmative that we are now engaged. And she's like, yes, 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 yes. Okay. Then she's like psyching herself up. Yeah, we're engaged. Woo. You know, so then she kind of like psychs herself up into it. And uh, now, you know, we've been married for 16 years now. So I think it worked out. I won her over. I won her over. Just like two years ago, I won her over. Um, and so... Now, let me give you the other part of the story, because uh, this other part of the story. A couple years ago, uh, I get invited to speak at this church. Uh, it was a few hours away, so I get in my car, I drive up, and, uh, <laughs> and I, I, I get there, and who's the assistant pastor at the church? The other Bob is the assistant pastor. And, and, and I see him, I hadn't seen him in years, and I'm like, the other Bob, how you doing? And uh, I don't, you know, I don't call him the other Bob when I see him, I just call him Bob. And... Um, and I said, man, I've been meaning to tell you something for years. I said, remember the girl that you proposed to in college? You told me about it. Remember, you proposed to her, and not only did she say no, but she broke up with you on the spot. You remember that? And he says, um, you know, Bob, it's kind of hard to forget moments like that. And, uh, and I'm like, yeah, well, anyway. Um, 
so cool what happened. Not you, of course, but so cool for me. Uh, because when you did that, I said, what, why, why haven't I asked Carrie to marry me? And so what happened is, is that I, because you asked, we're going to ask your girl, I decided to buy a ring and ask Carrie to marry me. So I, listen, I need to thank you. You made such a horrible decision. But it led to me making an awesome decision. So, right on. And uh, anyway, Bob and I don't speak anymore. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but now, here's the thing. Now, here's why I tell you all of this. Is that it's amazing how moments come to us. Moments come to us in, in, in a myriad of, of ways. And here, I have this firm belief. And here's what I mean by this. Um, I have this, this firm belief that there are moments that define you. There are moments where you come face to face with a challenge, moments where you come face to face with an opportunity, moments where you come face to face with a truth. And it's what we do with that challenge, that opportunity, and that truth that defines who we become. And if we were honest, here's what we would say as, as we think about it. It was, it's not, it's moments, not months. It's moments, not years. It's moments, not decades that define who we become. It's that, think about it, it's that step you took down the aisle with him or her that then led you to make another choice and it set off a chain reaction to now you're where you are, good or bad. You're where you are because of a decision, a moment, a defining moment in your life. That decision to stick it out when you were in school and you're like, man, I'm in college and this stinks and I don't know why I'm doing this or you're in high school. I mean, for some of you could have been elementary school and uh, you're like, you know, third grade, I'm out of here. Uh, but you decided to, I'm going to stick it out, at least till middle school. And, uh, and, and whatever it is, so whether it was school, whether it was your career, whether it was a relationship and you said, you know what, we are not giving up, we are not throwing in the towel. That moment where you made the choice and then followed through was the moment that made all the difference. You see, it's a defining moment. It's the moment that changed everything. And, and, and here's the thing. Sometimes, like me, it was someone else's decision that became a defining moment for me. Sometimes, listen, it's a mistake that we've made. We make this mistake and we fall, and we didn't think we would, but we fell. And that can be the decision, the, the defining moment. Or it's this. Or it's when we actually got up from that moment that we actually that that became the thing that changed everything for us. You see, my friends, that is the story of Simon Peter, Jesus' most famous disciple. You see, he was the guy that told Jesus, I will go to prison for you, I will die for you, I would never turn or run away. All these other people might forsake you, but I never would. And here's what happened. When the moment came, when the moment came, Peter denied Jesus three times. And see... Um, what I want to do in the moments that we have together is I want to take you through the most defining moment of Peter's life. Not the moment when he fell. That could have been the defining moment of his life, but it's what happened after that that became the defining moment of his life. And as a church, we're launching into this brand new series of teachings that's called Becoming. Because you and I both know this. For every single one of us, there is a person that we want to become. And you've got a vision in your mind of, of that person, of what you want to become, what he looks like, what he sounds like, where he lives, and what he drives, and, and what his relationship with his wife or husband is, and what his relationship with his or her kids is, and all that. And you have this vision. And the question is, this is the problem that we have sometimes. We know who it is that we want to become, but we don't know how to get there. And so that's why this whole series called Becoming is, is the road from here to there. I mean, how do you get from where you are to where you want to be and where God ultimately wants you to be? And so we're going to journey through this book called First Peter, written by Simon Peter. 
And that's why I have the first verse in there. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's all we're going to read is one verse. Because I want to talk about the person. And here's the thing is that this might not seem shocking to you, but if you were there that night, that night that he denied knowing Jesus, you might be shocked. You're going to write a book. Whoa, slow down. Are you sure you want to do that? You're going to talk about what happened? No, I'm not going to talk about what happened. But I'm going to talk about how you get from where you are to where God ultimately wants you to be. Because what happened in Peter's life is he made the biggest mistake of his life. He betrayed Jesus when Jesus needed him most. And you wouldn't think that Jesus, that Peter would be writing anything. In fact, some of us, if we were there, we would think, you know what? Um, Jesus isn't going to have anything to do with Peter after this moment. But something else took place. In fact, what I want to do is I want to read you the story of Peter's denial. And then uh, I want to walk us through three little vignettes, three little scenes in in Peter's life. Let me read it to you. This is in in the notes that we gave you in Matthew 26. It says, Now Peter sat outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And a little later... Those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you are also one of, uh, one of them, for your speech betrays you. And then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus, who said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. You see, I don't know how it works for you. But has there ever been a time where you actually did something that you said you'd never do? Where you actually said something that you thought you'd never say? That you went somewhere that you said you'd never go, and then you found yourself saying the thing you thought you'd never say, going the place you thought you'd never go, or uh, saying the thing you, you thought you'd never say, and doing the thing you thought you'd never do? I mean, and then what happens? Listen, in the aftermath of it, you see, this is where Peter is. It's not just the denial that he's living with. It's the aftermath of it. And he's just, now what? So he leaves and his only response is after he does the thing that he said he would never do. Is he just weeps bitterly. You know why you, know why you weep bitterly? You weep like this when you think that you're finished. You weep like this because he thought that him and Jesus were done. You see, shortly after the denial of Jesus, this is when Jesus is on trial. This is in the the middle of the night. By daybreak, Jesus is on the cross. But that's not the end of the story. We know that. But Peter did not know that. You see, we're here celebrating because we realize that Jesus walked out of that tomb three days later. And listen, and here's the thing that's amazing. And so there was three days that Peter was just living with this failure. Living with the fact that he did what he said he would never do. And you know why this is such an important message for us on Easter? is because some of us are here looking for a second chance. Some of us have messed up. Some of us have made mistakes. Some of us think we've ruined things beyond repair. But I'm here to tell you some good news on this Easter morning or Easter afternoon that God is a God of second chances. And guess what? He's a God of third chances. And he's a God of fourth chances. And he's a God of fifth chances. And he's a God, well, after five chances, you're done. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. Uh, You're not. He just, listen, there's this continual opportunity that we have 
to be renewed, that God's grace and his mercy is renewed. That, and so what I want to do is take you once again to three little scenes in Peter's life that where Jesus talks about the moment that this, is, this betrayal is going to happen and then what happens following this betrayal when Jesus gives Peter the opportunity for a second chance. I want to look at your notes, if you would, in Luke 22. Here's what we read. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. I want to show you something in these verses. If you're a note taker, um, in the notes that we gave you and the pen that we gave you, here's the first thing that I want to show you. In these verses. Number one, God is focused on your future, not your failure. Did you notice in the verses that we read that Jesus does not dwell on the fact that he's going to, that Peter's going to deny him? In fact, here's what he says. Peter, you're going to deny me, but then once you come back to me, when you return to me, strengthen your brothers. Do something with the experience that you've learned. You see, that is like the exact opposite of what we do. Here's what we do when we think somebody's going to fail. Like if we had that kind of knowledge, we would hang it over their head forever. You know, Pete, you're going to deny me. I'm so disappointed. You know, and then afterwards, five years after it happened, you're driving in your car. Somebody beeps their horn. It sounds like a rooster. Oh, wow, Pete. Doesn't it remind you of the day you, you denied me? Remember that? Wow, I told all my friends about that, and they all agree that you're a loser. Isn't that weird? They do. They all think you're a loser. Oh, by the way, you're not invited to anyone's party ever. Uh, and, and, and listen, now, Jesus, that's not what he does. Jesus gives Peter the facts. Here's what's going to happen, Pete. You're going to deny me three times. That's the reality. But when you come back, and I want you to come back, I want you to strengthen your brothers with the experience that you've had. I want to fast forward a few months in Peter's life. After the crucifixion, after the resurrection, um, Peter is in the temple talking about Jesus. The religious leaders approach him and say, hey, what are you doing? And here's what happens. Look at what it says. It's in your notes. It says in Acts 4, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. These guys were being threatened with beatings. They were being threatened with death and they didn't care. You know why? Because Jesus had given Peter a vision of what his future could look like. It wasn't just, hey, you're going to mess up and well, you know, it's just that, that's all we're going to live. We're going to live there. No, instead, here's what he did. He said, Pete, you're going to mess up, but I want you to strengthen people afterwards. You see, too often, here's what we do. We have experiences in the past that didn't go well and we let that be the precursor to what our future is. And we think, man, 10 years ago it didn't work, and I know it's not going to work because it never works. And here's what we do. We take the paint can of the past, and we paint the picture of the future based on that. Can I tell you that that's not what God does? Here's what God does. He has a vision of what your future can be, and he lets that paint who he sees in the present. You see, you might think, man, I've failed. I've made mistakes. God is done with me. Can I tell you something? You're wrong. God is not done with you. God is thinking about the future that he has planned for you. And if you're willing, if you're willing to embrace it, 
and let go of the past. Have you made mistakes? Sure. Have you messed up? Sure. But have you ruined things beyond repair? It doesn't have to be beyond repair. You can actually take those mistakes and say, you know what? That will not be who defines me. But instead, the fact that I get up again will be the thing that defines me. The fact that I have decided to live my life based on the vision that God has for me, I will allow that to define me. That's why the Bible would say it this way. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So listen, here's what you have to decide on this Easter afternoon. Will you live based on your past? Or will you live based on the fact that God has a future and a hope for you? That God has a vision for your future that can be different than what your past was as you invite him into your life. Well, look at what happens. Jesus, Peter denies Jesus. Jesus goes to the cross. And then um, it's resurrection morning. It's the first Easter morning. Listen to what happens here. It's in your notes in Mark chapter 16. It says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices, that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples, wait for it, and Peter, that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention. Here's the second thing that happens in these defining moments in life. These defining moments, God, here's the second point. God is speaking encouragement into your life. God is speaking encouragement to your life. And, and I, every, every single one of us has a story of like the moment where we kind of like the, one of our bigger mess ups, you know, like the moment where we messed up and we crawl, we wanted to crawl under a rock and never come out. Um, I'll tell you one of mine, just one of mine. I mean, we could spend the rest of our time talking about this, but I will tell you one of mine just, you know, so you can have a little fun at my expense. Um, my youngest daughter is 14 months old. So this was about 17 months ago, 18 months ago. Um, my wife was about seven months pregnant with our, old, with our youngest daughter. And uh, we were at Disney World. And um, it was the last day of our vacation. And my daughter wanted to rent one of these, uh, you know, those little Surrey bikes where everybody sits. And there's like a spot for four people and they all sit and pedal. And then the ones at Disney, they have these two little baskets in the front that kind of serve like um, high chairs almost, you know, so you can put the kids in the front, the younger kids, and they, um, they get strapped in. And then the older kids or adults, they, they pedal in the back. So I have my five-year-old daughter, my three-year-old son, or my two-and-a-half-year-old son, and then my pregnant wife is riding shotgun, and then I'm, I'm on, the, you know, on the left side pedaling. And um, now... Just to give you an idea as to how this works, I mean, we rented this. This is at the Boardwalk Resort. You know, this, around that lake, there's all those different resorts, kind of all the Epcot resorts. So you, you rent the bike at, at a Boardwalk, and then you kind of go up this hill, and then you pass where uh, Epcot is. Then you go to the Beach Club, then the Yacht Club. Then you go up another hill, and then you pass uh, the Dolphin, the Swan Hotel, and then you, go back, you get back to the Boardwalk where you rented uh, the bikes. So 
Um, so we, we set out, oh, it's, we're having a great time. And then we get to the first hill. And then Carrie's like, wow, this is really kind of tough. And I'm like, well, you know, power through, woman. And uh, so, uh, you know, so we kind of make it to the top. And then now when you're at the top, it's awesome because then you kind of, you, you get like the, the glide down and then it's so easy. And it's just like a light pedal as everybody's going. And then you get to the other, you know, you pass the yacht club, uh, beach club, yacht club. Then you get the other big one, the big hill, which is what gets you over the lake and then to um, the swan, the dolphin, and then you go back. And that one is tough. And then she's like, oh, Bob, I, I can't pedal anymore. I, I'm tired. I can't. And I'm like, I don't care. Pedal, woman. And so she's like, she starts pedaling. And uh, so, you know, because I'm just a really kind person. Um, and so, so anyway, so then we get back to where we started. I'm like, all right, wasn't that fun? Let's go home. And then both of my kids are, are going, one more time, one more time, one more time. And then before I can say anything, Carrie says, all right, let's go one more time. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa. Well, I, I, okay, so then we, uh, we get to, we, you know, so she says that because it was an easy glide down. Well, then we start going around. We get to that first hill again. And she's like, and now it's getting really hard because, you know, now, you know, we've exerted a lot of energy going the first time around. So then we get to that hill again. And, uh, and she's like, oh, Bob, I just, I can't pedal anymore. And I'm like, you must pedal Okay, there cannot only be one person pedaling and three people just sitting. Okay, you've got to pedal. And so uh, she, <laughs> she then, fi- so, so she finally, we get to the top. I don't even know how we made it to the top. We finally made it to the top. We cruise all the way down and that was fine. And then we get to the big hill. And I was really worried about this one. I get one-tenth up the hill. And I, I can't, I can't, you know, you get to the pedal. It's like, it's not moving. Okay, can't move, you know, can't move. And so Carrie's pedaling. She's like, listen, I'm just going to get, I'm going to get off the bike and walk. And I'm like, honey, but you're pretty, all right, get off. And uh, so she, she gets off the bike and I get about halfway up the hill. And mind you, all this time, the kid, there's like a little bell in the front and the kids are ringing the bell. Faster, faster. I'm like, hey kid, when you're pedaling, you can decide how fast we go. And so anyway, I said that in love, of course. And, uh, and so anyway, we go around and then, so we're I'm about halfway up the hill and, and I, 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 she gets off the bike and now I can't do, I, and I am, I cannot move this bike anymore. And then something happened. I, I felt like a surge. I, I can't even describe it. I felt like a surge of energy come over me and it was like, you know, like it was something, it was like, you ever see the movie over the top? Sylvester Stallone, one of his greatest films. Um, it's like when he turns the hat around. You know, when I turn the hat around, I become like another person. Anyway, it's something like that. And uh, if you've never seen that, wow, you know what you're doing tonight. Featuring the hit song by Kenny Loggins, Meet Me Halfway Across the Sky. Anyway, I'm, I'm totally digressing now. Uh, center, okay. And so, anyway, I feel this explosion of energy. Yeah! And then I turn around to tell Carrie, Carrie, I'm doing it. And anyway, she's pushing the bike. Now, what I thought in my mind was, Carrie, you're seven months pregnant. Don't push the bike. What came out of my mouth was, don't stop pushing. 
So, and, and you know, now, now here's the thing. You ever notice that like the most embarrassing moments of your life never happen in private? You ever notice that? There's always an audience for your own personal stupidity. And uh, my life is certainly no different. And so while this is happening, a family of four, a mom and a dad and two 13-year-old girls are driving by. And then they they look at the kids and their, their kids are all laughing. And then they look at me and they're smiling. And then they look at my wife and then the smile goes away. And then they, the girls, they start pointing like, Mommy, Daddy, why does the mean man make his pregnant wife push him around? Why is he turning it into a rickshaw? Look at him. Anyway, it's so awkward. Now, and, and then the other thing is, now, I, I have to give you a little backstory here. I, I, and I will admit that I kind of play into this. But my kids think I have superpowers. They do. I mean, because anytime I, there's something to fix, I can fix it. You know, and, and uh, so they like to be around when Bobby fixes something. And, of course, I make a big deal out of everything. So I'm like, Lack it, we need a, you know, screwdriver. Yeah, a screwdriver, let's do this. Now we put in the electrical plate. That's it. That's all we did is put a plate back on. And so, yeah, we did high fives all around. Anyway, so my kids think I have superpowers. My daughter is convinced that I'm a ninja. She says, this is like six months ago. She comes up to me and she says, Bobby, I want you to know that I know. You know what? That you're a ninja. Oh, that. Why, yes, yes, I am. Now, speak nothing of this. Not even to Xander. Xander can't know this. It'll blow his mind. Okay. Ten minutes later, Bobby, you're a ninja? Anyway, this girl cannot keep a secret for anything. And uh, now, so anyway, so the whole thing is that Bobby can do anything. Bobby's a superhero. Bobby, you know, Bobby will fix it, whatever. And um, so now after we, the, the, the family of four has, you know, had their time of, you know, really chastising me. Then we get to the top and we're, we're kind of gliding back. And the kids are like, Bobby, why weren't you strong enough to get us to the top? Why was mommy the big helper? Why weren't you able to do it? And I'm like, well, you know, let's not get too technical here. It wasn't that bad. No, you really couldn't do it. Mommy's so much stronger. And I'm like, well, let's get, hey, kid, relax. And uh, anyway, of course I said it all in love. And, uh, with the, but, but here's the thing. Now, right, okay, so check it out. Now, this is, a, this, this is one of those moments. Peter denies Jesus, and it's in front of everybody. And it's like a really, it's, it's this moment like, oh no, it's over for me. Peter denies knowing Jesus, right? And just three days ago, and after denying Jesus, they crucified him. That's his last act as a disciple. And then here's, here's what happens is that he has this thing. I'm done. God is done with me. Nobody recovers from this. And then in the verses that we just read, the girls show up to the tomb and the angel says, here, here, here's the deal. Um, Jesus says this, I want you to go to Galilee. I'll tell my disciples and Peter. Not just my disciples. He may not think he's part of the group anymore. Tell my disciples and Peter specifically to meet me in Galilee. Why? Because what he's showing him, listen, is that forgiveness and restoration is available, even if you've messed up. 
That's what the cross is all about. That's what the resurrection is all about. That it offers every person the opportunity to be forgiven. Every person the opportunity uh, to get a second chance and a new start. The Bible would say it this way. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful ministry. Wonderful message of reconciliation. You see, check it out. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you've messed up because all of us have messed up. It doesn't matter all the mistakes you've made because all of us have made mistakes. God offers forgiveness to any person. And the person who is forgiven is the person who simply seizes it. The person who simply takes a step and receives it. Why? Listen, so simple. Why? Because he loves you. That's it. And that's what the last scene is all about. Now, let me give you a little bit of the backstory, and then we'll get to the last scene, and then we're done. Okay? So, the girls, they tell them, go tell the disciples and Peter to meet Jesus in Galilee. So they do just that. Hey, we saw this angel. He said to go meet Jesus in Galilee, that he's risen. So the disciples, they all go, including Peter, to Galilee and wait for Jesus. And they get there, and then there's kind of nothing to do. And so Peter says, I'm going fishing. And he says, okay. So he goes fishing. And uh, they, they are there all night. They catch nothing. I mean, they're there, you know, this whole time. They're, they're nothing, nothing, nothing. And then um, that in the morning, is early there, and there's somebody on the shore. And he says, hey, guys, um, why don't you cast your net on the other side? Now, you don't have to be a fishing expert. If you've ever been fishing on a boat, to know that there's really no statistical difference to just throwing your line on one side. Oh, no, the fish aren't on the left. They're over here on this side, you know. Uh, and then you throw them. There's nothing, but on one side, they got nothing. To throw your net on the other side, they did it. And here's what the Bible says. They caught 153 fish. This was a huge catch for them. Then they had to bring the whole thing in. Now, this triggers something. This is how they met Jesus. If you go to Luke chapter 5, that's how Peter encounters Jesus. They get this huge catch of fish, and then Peter just kneels down in front of him, and he says, Lord, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. And now all the pieces come together. John says, it, the guy on the beach, it's the Lord. Peter then says, okay. He jumps into the water, and he, and he swims to shore. Now, here's the cool thing that I love, is that when they get there, Jesus has already made a fire. And Jesus is already cooking up some fish. I don't know if you've, Jesus has ever made you breakfast. But he made them breakfast. My guess is it was pretty tasty. I mean, it was all like, like at least Cracker Barrel level as far as tasty goes because they make a good breakfast. And so he makes them this awesome breakfast. Now, here's where the story picks up. In John 21, it says this. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, then tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my sheep. And then he says to him a little while later, if you read the passage, the whole passage, he says two words to him. And he says, follow me. And that's the point that we're making here. Here's the last point in your outline. That God is specifically calling you to follow him. You see, the story is a little difficult to understand because we don't catch the nuance of it. Um, Because we only have one, in the English language, we only have one word for love. Just love. And so we just say, use the same thing for love. We love everything, right? So I love my wife. I love my kids. 
I'm from Boston, so I love the Red Sox. I also love chicken wings. So these are all the same. I use the same. And it's like, so because we only have one word for love, we think we're using the same level of intensity for all of those things, right? Just for the record, I love my kids more than chicken wings. Even though I really love chicken wings, I love them more, okay? Now, um, but here's, here's the deal. In the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, you could actually, um, it, the, word, the word is so nuanced that there's actually four words for love that, that, that's used. Like there's, um, if you were talking about a friend or someone that you really care about that's, that, you know, like a, a best friend or someone that's, um, you know, like a brother to you, you would use the word, man, I, I really love that person. You would use the word phileo. Like we use the word Philadelphia. It's where we get over Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love. Um, uh, so that phileo speaks of a brotherly or friendship type of love. It's also where we get our English word phileo fish, interestingly enough. Or maybe not. Um, <laughs> uh, there's also this. There's, um, there's a, a Greek word for love that's called storge. Storge is the kind of love that you would talk about, like the kind of love that a parent would have for their children. Um, there's also... The third one is, uh, there's eros. Eros is where we get our word erotic. Uh, it also involves Barry White music in the background, okay? Um, so there's, this is a romantic type of love. And then there's the last word, which is agape. And agape is an unconditional, godlike love. It's a self-sacrificial love. In this story, Peter and Jesus are using two different, type, two different words. Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? And Peter's response is, um, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I mean, I, I care about you. I really, 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 really like you. Well, then he says to him again, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? And he says, well, you know, I, I, I phileo you. I love you with a brotherly kind of love. And then the third time, the thing that grieves Peter is that he says, okay, then Jesus moves it down. He says, do you phileo me? Yes, I, I, I do. I do. And that's why he's grieving. You know, I've been saying that the whole time. You see, why, what is happening here? You see, the big rough and tumble, you know, I will die for you. I'll go to prison for you. You know, you can count on me. That guy's gone. And now, because he fell, because he's back up, there's now a humility in Peter that says, listen, I, do I want to love you unconditionally? Yeah. Maybe I'm not there. And here's what Jesus does. He just says, okay, then let's start where you are. You see, that's why the Bible would say it this way in 1 Peter 4. Jesus, Peter saying, hey, I get this. He says, above all, listen, love, agape each other deeply. Because agape, unconditional love, covers a multitude of sins. You see, Jesus is letting Peter know, hey, all is forgiven. I know what happened, but I want you, I've got ministry activity for you. You're part of the team. I haven't let you go. I haven't traded you. I haven't put you on the bench. Listen, that's why Jesus asked Peter about the depth of his commitment. Listen, the denial of Jesus could have been Peter's defining moment, and it doesn't become his defining moment. It be, his, his defining moment in life is, I fell, but then I experienced the love, grace, and forgiveness of God. That now became the defining moment of his life. You see, man, he could have fallen and just, that could have been the thing over and over again. Every day, every day, every morning, here's the rooster crow. This is the defining moment of my life. But that's not what happens. 
that wasn't the defining moment of his life. The defining moment is what happened after the biggest failure of his life that then turned into the most transformational moment that he would experience. You see, there was another guy, a guy named Judas Iscariot. Judas didn't deny Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus. And afterwards, the Bible says that he was remorseful. He actually took the 30 pieces that he was given and he wanted to return it. And he says, I have betrayed innocent blood. And the religious leaders said, oh man, you got it. That's on you. And the Bible says that he went and he hung himself. The defining moment of his life was this betrayal. But it didn't have to be. See, the story could have been different. The story could have been that he came back to Jesus and said, I'm so sorry. I can't believe what I've done. But that's not what he did. The defining moment of his life was the betrayal of Jesus. The defining moment of his life could have been for Peter. I denied him. That's it. But instead, but instead, it was something so much greater. There was love. There was forgiveness. There was restoration. There was the reconciliation of a relationship. And there was the transformation of a human life. And here's what I know is that today can be a defining moment in your life. Today could be the day, not The defining moment is not the mistakes that you've made. The defining moment could be what happens in this place at this time. When you can experience the forgiveness and grace of God in a way that you've never known. That today you can leave this place different than when you came in. That today you can come face to face, not with your failures, not with your mistakes, not with the fact that God is so holy and I'm so unholy, not not with that. But you can come face to face. So yeah, God is holy and I'm unholy. I get that. But God sent his son to die for me so that I could experience a defining moment in my life that I came face to face with that truth. And I decided that there was a future that God had for me that was greater than anything that had happened in my past. Listen, I believe that that could be the case for many of us this morning. That we could come face to face with that truth. And today, Lord, we want to thank you. We thank you for the fact that you don't just leave us to figure it out. But instead, you don't leave us in our failures and mistakes. You don't let us wallow in it. But instead, you give us opportunity. You give us opportunity to be forgiven, to be loved, to be changed from what we are to what you want us to be have a vision for our lives that's greater than anything we could even think about or imagine for ourselves. That you want to do a work in us and through us. So God, may this be the time, may this be the moment when a defining moment takes place for many of us here. In Jesus' name.